following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Good morning, I'm Kim. Uh, show of hands for who had to drive through a snowstorm to get here this morning. Seriously, it was snowing so hard I almost turned around. It, that's how hard it was snowing. Okay, so Psalm 27, call to worship. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, you who have been my help. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Good morning. I'm Josh. The second reading today is from Luke 13, 31 through 35. At the very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go, he said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you are not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. As our next reader comes forward, I want to uh, do something that I forgot to do in the first service, which is to remind you of our theme verse for Lent. Um, we're talking about a season of repentance, but repentance meaning changing your mind. And so, uh, Keith, could you put up the, the slide? I put them out of order in there, and I apologize. But the slide from Romans 12. This is our key verse that we want to return to again and again uh, in this season. And it's one that we are going to learn to say together. So I'll say the first part and up to the comma, and then I want you all to shout back the, the, the last bit of it, okay? Because this is, this is what I want us to be doing during Lent, and I actually think today's sermon will give us some tools for that, too. Um, do not be conformed to this world, but... Amen. May that be true for us. All right, and now Laura. Good morning. I'm going to be reading from Genesis 15, verses 1 through 12 and 17 through 18. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house shall be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, 
laying each half over against each other, and he did, uh, he did not cut the two birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep, terrifying darkness descended upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. We have a very special guest preacher with us today. Um, and it's Kevin Garcia. And I, I don't say this every time. When, when we have guests in, uh, I hear the sermon twice. And today I'm really excited to hear the sermon a second time. Uh, and so I'm excited for you to hear it as well. So Kevin um, told me earlier that uh, a good way, a good bio would be a digital pastor, content creator, and self-identified hot mess. <laughs> uh, Kevin also works with uh, the Reformation Project, is a seminary student in Atlanta, and has a, a small business, Queerly Beloved, and uh, some of you have backed their recent explosive Kickstarter project for t-shirts, and so we're really excited to have Kevin with us today, and um, I'm going to stop talking. So would you join me in welcoming Kevin Garcia? Okay, I'm going to do something I didn't do in the last one. It's like, I'm going to teach y'all how to talk back to the pastor because, listen, I am a Baptist at heart. And listen, when the pastor is doing really good, you got to say, mm, okay, that's good. <laughs> so I'm going to say something that we can all agree on. Um, God, cheese is just so good. Mmm, that's good. <laughs> you can all say something like, come on, y'all, yes. Or, mm-hmm, come on, say it, pastor. All these things are appropriate things. Or you don't have to do it at all because I get that that is not your culture. Like, <laughs> you guys don't even put sugar in your tea, which is like. <laughs> but I'm also laying off sugar because, like, I'm turning 30 soon, so, like, my metabolism is slowing down, and, like, my body is just like, you thought that you could just have that Big Mac, didn't you, bruh? <laughs> Joke's on me. Um, hi, I am Kevin Miguel Garcia. It is nice to be here, um, and I was, I cannot tell you how lovely y'all are. Seriously, every single person I've met has just been so, uh, just, it, it feels like home. It feels like home. And shout out to Anna and Elliot for hosting me, uh, being my internet cousins and then real life friends. Um, also, their kids are so weird and so wonderful. <laughs> I love them so much. Um, so, yeah, um, uh, my preferred pronouns right now are they, them, theirs, um, or he or she, like, whatever, whatever's fine, just, like, don't be rude. That's my rule. Uh, uh, I'm a Scorpio, if you're into that sort of thing. I'm an Enneagram 8, wing 7, so it's, like, anger, but make it fun. Uh, I'm mixed race also, and I'm a, if I fall backwards on this, I'm just going to say I'm slain in the spirit. Um, I'm mixed race, which is, like, confusing with, like, the ginger beard, I know. Um, I am Mexican-Filipino from my father's heritage, and then white from my mother's <laughs> heritage. Um, I take 150 milligrams of Wellbutrin, 50 milligrams of Zoloft, and one milligram of Finasteride to like, keep my hair from falling out, because again, turning 30, my body is changing. So, um, Things I talk about all the time um, within my content, I love talking about Jesus, I love talking about sex, I love talking about the body, I love talking about shame, I love talking about how do we live a better and more abundant life now and not just prepare for, like, the life to come, whatever that means. Um, and I tell you all this because I want you to know, like, who's walking into this space. Um, I, at one time in my life, believed that it was important for me to, like, uh, completely tailor myself or, like, dull my shine to fit into certain spaces so that I would be more acceptable to other people more palatable, but then um, a friend of mine said, like, I'm do you're doing nobody a favor because, like, you know, you show up looking like a bro one day, and then, you know, you come in, like, semi-dragged to church the next day. It's going to be a little confusing for people. Um, and so I'm here, full-tilt weirdo, so for all the full-tilt weirdos in the world and in this room, what's up? <laughs> um, and yes, I am wearing green, just, to, just so you know, I got the message. 
but I'm not talking about St. Patrick today, so sorry about you. Um, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I am pretty much a PK, which means pastor's kid. Um, more like by proxy, I'm technically a pastor's nephew, but we did everything in church. My mother was the worship leader, my uncle was the pastor, um, and we were in church like three times a week. So like Sunday, 9 a.m. service, 10 a.m. service, um, and then the you know after church brunch, and then Wednesday night for potluck and some strange like bi- Bible study or Christmas cantata rehearsal or Easter cantata rehearsal, um, and then extra Saturdays for when we had to decorate the church because my mother did not believe in asking friends for help, but just enlisting her children to climb up these like 12 foot ladders to hang paper so she could get an overhead projector and then have us color in the lines while leaning off of the ladder. <laughs> Super safe. My mother's amazing, by the way. Just like, I question some things that she did. Um, don't tell her I said that. Um, also, my mother doesn't know how to use technology, so I know she won't ever hear this on a podcast. So like, that's why I'm really okay with this. I, um, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior at age nine at a Jesus camp in the backwoods of Tennessee. And I really did used to talk like this. I'm not making fun of my family or anything like that. Um, but I did. I got baptized at age nine on the 4th of July, no less, because um, I am a good Christian American human. Um, come on now. See, I'm telling y'all, we're bringing the spirit in the house of the Lord. Y'all thought you were the frozen chosen, but come on. We're going to make these dead bones rise, Jesus. Hallelujah. Anyways, um, but that's the kind of environment I accepted Jesus in. I was captivated by this Jesus that picked people who were second best. And, like, I was, I was made fun of a lot um, for, you know, being femme as a child. And, like, I didn't realize I was gay until high school, which is, I'll tell that story in just a second. Um, but, like, I was always just, like, this person who had a big personality. And I just knew, I knew that I knew that I knew, like, in my body, like, Jesus is real and Jesus loves me and I want to give my life to this love. And I don't know how, like, you know, maybe it was emotional manipulation, maybe it was, like, weird stuff, like, just feelings in the moment. I don't know. But I, I, I remember saying, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I had, like, this indwelling of love and joy, and I just, like, I was like, oh, my God, this is real. It felt like the closest thing to magic we can talk about, right? Just, like, that, that presence of God, tangible. I don't know if you've had an experience like that. I'm just... I'm not saying you have to have that kind of experience to be a Christian or anything like that. That was just my experience at this weird little <laughs> Jesus camp in Tennessee at age nine. Um, and so, of course, like, I take that back, that same feeling and expression back to my home church. And my mother says to me, uh, when I'm doing this in worship, because that's what we do in Baptist worship, we just lift our hands to the Lord, which is like, really weird for some people, that I'm still staying like this, right? <laughs> and my mother comes up to me and she says, Kevin you need to stop being so dramatic. And I'm like, girl, who are you talking to? <laughs> I didn't say that to her. I was confused, really, because like at age nine, I was like, I'm not being dramatic. I'm just like, why was that dramatic? But then like, it became very clear to me that uh, Christians, there are things that we do and there's things that we don't do especially our version of Christianity. I don't know if y'all ever grew up... Growing up in evangelicalism is crazy because like, somehow you're convinced that like, your church is the only church that's going to heaven. Like, we've got the answers right here in this space. And that's what I believed. It was like, the, it's the uh, amalgamation of, like, American civil religion that kind of taught me that, like, there was a correct way to be a man. There's a correct way to be a woman. Uh, you have your curtain rolls, and, like, that's just how it works. If you do the right thing, you're going to be hashtag blessed, and America's going to be blessed, because why wouldn't God bless America? Because we're so great. Um, and then, as a good... Christian teen who never did, I literally, I didn't do anything with such the goody two-shoes. Man, if my younger self could see me now, Jesus. Um, I started high school and I realized I was attracted to boys and I thought, (laughs) because there's little ones in the room, so I'm going to be like more PG-13. But I realized I like boys and I was scared of going to hell. So it wasn't just like, I want to do the right thing to please God. I better do the right thing so that I don't um, burn forever in conscious uh, eternal torment. Casual as a teenager to be dealing with that. (laughs) So my life became this 
uh, about figuring out what was pleasing to God. Because like, when you're a queer person and you have been told your entire life that like, the lesbians are out to kill our babies with abortions and um, the gays are out to give everybody AIDS and they're recruiting your children, the whole nine yards, like, that is what, like, it's like, I didn't choose this, so I know I need to get rid of it. It's like the shame on the existential level because like, you never pick, you, like, you can't control your thoughts. It's like, and all that's probably related to this part, um, if you're someone who's allosexual, which means... Um, you experience sexual attraction, unlike an asexual person who may not experience sexual attraction in the same way. You know, fun vocab for the day. <laughs> um, but if you're someone who experiences sexual attraction and, like, you know, you went through puberty, uh, you might experience, like, you know, this, like, urge, like, oh, my gosh, that person's so cute. And, like, you might be discovering parts of your body, and then at some point someone said, oh, my God, don't do that because it's going to make you blind. And you're like, <laughs> What? <laughs> So at least some of, yeah, some of us can relate to that. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's just like we're told to be ashamed of our bodies and what was doing. And so, again, for me, just like, you know, like, it wasn't just like, don't kiss girls. It's just like, you better not think about kissing boys either. But like when you tell someone like, hey, don't think about like a rainbow unicorn. Like, what are you thinking about? Rainbow unicorn. She's majestic. <laughs> don't think about kissing boys, Kevin. What do you think I'm thinking about all the time? Also, like, I was always watching America's Next Top Model. Like, I don't know, like, how, like, my parents, like, didn't see it coming. <laughs> on top? Oh, honey. Um, but so I was figuring out, like, my entire life, what is going to be the thing that is pleasing to God? Because I know this just isn't right. Um, I know that I've, I've, it's this feeling of constantly trying to police yourself. And, and, like, if you look back at videos of me, like, from high school... I'm like, you can see me visibly trying to not be gay on camera, which, I mean, come on. <laughs> I was also in theater, so like, that wasn't gay, it was just acting, right? So um, my dad outed me to my mom. Um, so that was, uh, that was sophomore year. My mother freaked out, and we went to the Exodus International office in Richmond, Virginia. And I was in and out of reparative therapy groups for like about 12 plus years. And that's gross. And at first it was like, we're going to get there just like, you're going to change. Like, if we can just, like, figure out, like, where your dad went wrong, you can get saved. And so, like, I got this message that, like, it was my dad's fault, but also kind of my mom's fault, but always definitely my fault, too. Um, and then after they realized, oh, it might, you might not change. We don't know. It's, like, there's hope for change. It's kind of a crapshoot. So show up anyways. Make sure you don't touch yourself. And also don't kiss boys. And maybe you won't go to hell. That would be great. Cool? You cool? That's how it was. And that's what my life became. It's like, I am going to do this thing so I do not go to hell. And that is coercion. And that is scary. And that's not really choice, in my opinion. Um, but that's another, another sermon for another time. But that's what it was. I think that's a, what a lot of us like, grew up with, whether it was like, with queer stuff or not. Like, there's something in our lives that's like, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to do something that's displeasing to God. And American civil religion kind of teaches that like, if you do the right thing, you're going to get the right thing. God is going to bless you. God helps those who help themselves. And so we go on our, like, you know, through our teenage years feeling shame about our bodies and not really knowing how to relate to each other and like, having to like, recount all the times that you screwed up. And, like, conf- I don't know if you all had to do confession in your youth group, but we did, and it was so weird. But like not just like regular confession, like confessing your sex- confessing your sexual sins to like your other teenage friend, your other teenage guy friends who are also teenage guys and who are also like, I mean like, none of us went blind is all I'm saying. <laughs> um, so the th- the thing about the, these thoughts that kept coming up for me, and like, like I said it before, it's just like when you try to suppress a thought, it just keeps coming up, and I. What was so hard for me was I was always thinking, I'm just like, I'm doing my best. I know that I love God. I'm showing up to church and I'm on the praise team and I'm, you know, serving in the, the kids' ministry and I'm not cussing and I'm not drinking with all my friends. Like, I'm doing the right thing. God, why won't you fix me? God, why won't you do this? Like, I'm, I'm doing the work, right? And I feel like a lot of us sometimes, like, we go into, like, our, we want from our, like, religious life, like, sort of the same thing. God, I'm doing the work. Why aren't things getting better? And that, I think, has to do a lot with capitalism that has kind of seeped its way to, again, American civil religion. You can also interchange that with, like, evangelicalism or, like, uh, uh, white, folk, white folk civil religion. Or, what did someone else call it earlier? 
You can tell me what it was. Um, and because we love patterns, we take capitalism's idea of you are worth what you create. You, if you create labor that is marketable, sellable, has a price tag on it, then you're worth something. Same thing with God. If I do the things that are pleasing to God, I get my God points and I can exchange them in for the blessings that I want, right? Because when the praises go up, blessings come down. Thanks, Chance. Um, and the thing about like, labor is that like, it's only if someone else deems it valuable. And so again, where do we look for that? Kind of just like what's good and what's not. We look to the church. And the church has told so many of us and continues to tell so many of us that you are what you create. You are what you bring to the table. You're only beloved if. Maybe not in so many words, but that's what a lot of people experience. And so if it comes down to the game of you are, you are only as holy as the people you haven't slept with. You're only as holy as the cuss words you never say. You're only as holy as the people you haven't kissed. Uh, and you only are holy if you listen to worship music and vote Republican. And if you do those things, God will love you. You're going to do it. You're going to nail it. Um, and that's not how it works, because I was a good Christian boy, and, I mean, started struggling with homosexuality early on. That was the thing. Um, my parents got divorced, which was so bizarre to me, because I didn't have, like, an idea of what that could work. You know, like, I did the holy thing, and, you know, my dad got cancer and died. I did the holy thing... And I just prayed, like, you know, God, please don't let the judge give my brother a larger sentence. You know, I was, I was doing all these things, like, believing that God could do anything. And that God, because I'm, I'm good, God, God will do everything, right? God can do anything. Why won't you do this thing for me? And so it's our lived experience that, like, bucks up against this, like, belief that, like, American civil religion teaches us that, like, Faith begets miracles, right? That was the, the realm I grew up in. Uh, kind of this um, uh, prosperity gospel, right? Kate Bowler has this really great book called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies That I've Loved. And in this book, she... It's so good. Heartbreakingly beautiful. So the, the premise is this. Um, she's a, a Duke Divinity professor at the height of her career. She's got kids... Uh, and she is diagnosed with stage four colon cancer um, and is like looking like straight in the face of death and she realized like, God, I've done everything right. Why do I have cancer? Like, you know, why, like, you know, everyone's got like, you know, everything happens for a reason. Just like, what, what do I possibly have to learn from this experience? You know, it, and so I think there is something to, to say like, when we come down to the lowest parts of ourself, when we come down to these darkest moments when we are just like shaking our fists at the sky saying, God, why aren't you doing what you said you were going to do? And like the Psalms are full of those same prayers, right? The, the psalmist is always like going to God and petitioning God and saying like, you, like, this is what has been said about you. This is what I believe about you. This is what I know about you. Why won't you do this thing? Where is my justice? Why am I still being oppressed? Why am I still being hurt? Why can I still not pay my bills? Why is such and such getting cancer? Why is... Uh, poverty is still a thing. Why does, are people getting shot in their, their, their places of worship, in mosques and in churches and in synagogues? Why, God, have you not shown up? We want equivalent exchange. We want answers. We want comfort in the midst of our dark night of the soul. And now what the heck does this have to do with the lectionary text, right? I'm so glad you asked because now I get to nerd out. <laughs> So I am going to be poking around that Genesis text that our friend read just a minute ago. It is the, one of the weirdest... Like, did you, do, you, let me, do you need to recap? Let me recap for you. I feel like you need to recap. All right, picture this. Um, well, before we tell that story, I want to tell you this story. Uh, picture this. It's the, it's the ancient Near East. Um, and in this realm of the world, um, there's a relationship between humanity and the gods. And the humanity, its sole purpose is to exist, is to please the gods by offering sacrifices to them, to literally feed them. They believed that they had to feed the gods. The gods were not these things that were um, omnipotent and, you know, they could do whatever they want. They had anthropomorphized human personalities, and including egos and motivations and jealousy. And sometimes they were good and sometimes they were bad. And so if you, like, prayed to the good god, like, maybe they would be happy with you and you could sort of, like, maybe not get smited or your crops would grow. And then there's these other ones that were, like, demons or trickster gods. And, like, maybe if you serve this one, you'd get something, but maybe not because they're jerks. Um, <laughs> 
and so that was the whole point. And it was like this cycle of like conquering and conquering and conquering because that's the name of the game. We got to get more land, more people to offer more things to our gods so we can be happy so that you know, we can be the strongest so that our gods can be not mad at us, right? So it's the cycle of violence and doing for the gods that's going on. That is reflected a lot in the ancient Near East creation myths that people had. Uh, one of my favorites, favorites, what? <laughs> Who has favorite, like, Near Eastern <laughs> creation myths? Yeah, I'm single, please date me. Um, that's, if, you're, if you're into ancient creation, you're, like, slide into my DMs. Um, so, like, let's, uh, Babylonia, that's where we are. So there is one of my favorites, the Babylonian creation myth, which tells the story of Marduk, who's like the main character. He is like the son of Tiamat, and Tiamat is like the mother goddess who, along with one other person uh, or one other god, created all the other gods. And Marduk is like, I'm going to like do whatever the, I want because he's kind of a jerk and like uh, is like fighting all these monsters and whatnot, and eventually gets to this place where he wants to do something with the world or like create the world. And so he goes and like, like you do and rips Tiamat in literal half to create the earth and the sky. It was from these two things. It was from ripping apart of the divine feminine that created the earth. Like, like in, this, in this notion, it's just like, uh, it was from violence which the world came. Humanity in this story as well is grown from the blood of another god who was killed by Marduk. So, humanity is grown, created from, from the dirt of someone else's death, the death of somebody else, and then we come up and now we're supposed to serve the gods so that they can not smite us and whatnot. So, the world, what does this story tell us? It tells us that the world is violent. And that's why we just, we're just doing what our gods have done and that's what, this is how the world works. Uh, what's also really interesting is there is a Mexican uh, creation myth that basically tells the same kind of story. There's two male gods who like chase after a female deity who is representative of creation and chaos. They rip her in two as well to create the sky and the earth. And um, from, her, from her tears, um, water and life springs forth. So again, the divine feminine being ripped apart in order to create life, saying that violence is a part of this. So what's interesting is the Genesis creation myth that tells a different kind of story. In the Genesis creation myth, there is nothing. The world is void and what's not, right? Um, void without form. And uh, instead of something being ripped apart, there is generative co-creation. The voice of the divine saying, let there be. As if to say, whatever potential is there, do it. Do Be the thing you're meant to be. And it was. When uh, the earth and sky, he says, like, let there be a dome that separates the waters from the sky. Or water... What, what? I don't know, I can't remember right now. <laughs> I'm in seminary, y'all. I don't have my full degree yet. We're working on it. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's just like, let there be a separation. Not, or I'm going to rip something apart, but let there be. And then God goes on to like say, says, God says, let the waters teem with life. Not, I'm going to put fishies in those waters, um, but rather, let the water, let the water do something. God put this creative energy there. Let the earth bring forth seed-bearing plants. Let the animals do stuff. Let the people do stuff. Let, let, let be. I'm just going to let you do what you are naturally here to do. And I think that says something. It's not about a violent creative, but like a co-creation. God being with us in the dirt, in mud, breathing life into something. Come on, somebody. That's good. <laughs> and so this is a step forward in our spiritual understanding of the world. That the world, like the people of the time have been told, the world is a violent place. The it, nation of Israel comes along, and as they're like starting to codify their stuff and like stitch together a bunch of different types of passages to form what we now have as the Hebrew Bible, they said, like, no, we see God as a generative figure, the force of the universe that is making things and holding it together and the person who's holding us and protecting us. Um, and so that brings us now to our text of the day. Now that I've like set that whole thing up, we're going into Genesis 15, which is like, what a weird passage, right? So Abram, um, he hasn't become the baby daddy to Ishmael yet, so he's not problematic <laughs> or canceled yet. Um, let's recap the story. 
right? So Abram's there, and God's like, hey, you're going to be like the father of this nation. He's like, how do I know that? Because I ain't got no kids. And he's like, go look at the stars. That's your, that's your gig. That's how many. And he's like, okay. That's, that's the part where he like, believed God and counted to him as righteousness. Also, like, how wild is that? Just like, you get called out of like, your own nation. Like, nobody ever leaves home. And you get, like, God says, go to the land where I will show you. I'm not going to tell you where that is, but just keep going. And then it's like, I'm going to give you a bunch of kids. And it's like, I'm an old man. My, my old lady's barren too. Like, what are you talking about? God, and they, he believed God. That's wild to me. I don't, blind faith, you know, we're working on that part. Um, but like when, what I'm zeroing in on in this story is what's really weird. He, uh, God says, bring me uh, a cow, a sheep, a goat, two birds, cut them in half, separate them, and put them there. This was, a, this was an ancient Near East thing called like, cutting a covenant in some ways. And so this is one way of like, building covenant. They would put uh, sets of animals that had been split apart and blood and guts and everywhere and gross. Um, and the people who were participating in the covenant were to walk through the middle of these as kind of a prophetic way of saying, if I don't keep up my end of the bargain, may I be divided as these animals were. May I be ripped apart, my guts and blood all over the ground. Like, this is how much this means to me. And so, what do we have in the story? Like, Abraham is probably ready for, like, you know, an anthropomorphized version of God or something to show up to say, okay, I'm going to covenant myself to you, God. I'm walking through this. Yes, I'll do anything you say, and may I be ripped apart if I don't keep my end of the bargain with you, divine being who is temperamental and probably, like, you know, not pleased and, like, you know, obviously always pissed at me because that's how the gods work at the time, right? This is Abram's view of the divine at the time. However, what, does, what happens after Abram chases these birds off because, like, apparently he's been waiting there long enough for, like, birds of prey to come in and, like, eat the dead aminals he just cut up. Um, yeah, I said aminals. <laughs> um, he, he gets tired, he's sitting there, and he falls asleep, and it says, a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. <sighs> what does that even mean? Um, what's, uh, the lectionary actually leaves out my favorite verse in there, and what it actually says is that the Lord spoke to Abram and said, um, know this for certain, your children will be an, an alien in their land and they shall be oppressed for 400 years. Great. This is the covenant that I want to sign on for. Thanks, God. Um, and so he's sitting there and like, God tells him, like, I assume this is like in the dream, maybe, um, but it's not really, it's not really explicitly clear um, when this was happening. So he says, your children are going to be oppressed for 400 years. And then it says uh, that a smoking fire pot and a torch... Uh, come down and float through the middle. So we've got like literally the goblet of fire. This is what I see. The goblet of fire from Harry Potter comes down out of nowhere and floats its way between the two before spitting out Harry Potter's name and Dumbledore. Harry Potter! <laughs> yeah. Did you watch your name? <laughs> I like you. We're going to be friends. No, um, but like, you know, it's weird. So like, what's this goblet of fire, the smoking pot situation? Glad you asked. <laughs> It is actually an ancient symbol for the gods, the divine. So, like, and this is something that Abram would have been familiar with, like, as, like, a religious symbol. And so uh, he sees this, 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 this smoking pot and torch come through and walk or float itself. I don't know. Like, did it have legs? We don't know. But this, this symbol, this presence of God, floats between the middle of this sacrifice and then says to Abram, behold, I will give you the land that's in front of you. And like he, then he names like all the Pezrezites and Ammonites and all, the, you know, all of them. He says, like, I'm going to give you something. So what's interesting here is this, this is the leap forward where he is thinking that this is all going to be something violent if I don't do what God says. But God is saying, I am entering into this covenant with you rather than you having to enter it with me. God is saying, I am the one who is going to take the responsibility for this. I am the one entering into this life with you, this blood and this guts, and may I be divided if I don't keep my covenant to you, Abram. Whoo, come on, somebody. May I, like God is like covenanting God's self to us, to the people, and to, like the, and to the generations to come. God's saying, whatever happens, I'm going to be with you. 
And y'all, like, I mean, I look at the Old Testament all the time, and it's like, why is, like, they keep breaking the covenants over and over and over again. It was never about the covenants that man made with God. It was always about the covenant that God made with us. Amen. Woo, come on, somebody. So that's the departure from, like, this thing of just, like, I have to do the right thing. We have to remember, this is also, like, pre-Judaism, right? This is pre-actual, like, temple worship, before God even, like, was, like, chilling in, like, the, the pillar of fire and cloud, before the Ten Commandments, all that. Like, and more than likely, Abram was probably not clean by, like, you know, what we would call, like, the, the, the Levitical standards. This all happened just because the Holy Spirit shows up wherever she wants to. Ooh. God is saying that I'm going to be the one who's going to make this deal. I'm the one who's going to be responsible for seeing it to fruition. And I'm going to walk with you in this life with the blood and the guts and the moments that feel so gruesome, the moments that feel like death. I was, um, I'm, I'm blown away by that kind of intimacy. By that, that, that kind of just like, and like, and then like Abram just like continued to go on with his life. I'm just like, how does one go on after knowledge like that? There was, a, there was this woman um, who was wearing a sweater and on the back of it, I don't know if you've seen this branding where it says, he is greater than I. It's like, it's, um, it's an evangelical thing where it's, and I get it, like, it's saying, you know, God is bigger than I am. God is more important than I am. And I guess there is, like, some sort of, like, healthy humility to saying that, like, the creator of the universe is more powerful than me. <laughs> You know, but like, I don't think that's what God is trying to do. God's not trying to make us feel small, so we like, we just like, you know, have to keep playing these games, like keep getting our Jesus points. Like, God is trying to say, like, I want you, like, I'm coming down with you, like, I'm here to be with you. Like, God is saying, like, God is stepping into our deep, terrifying darkness to say, I want to give you something. God is always dwelling in the darkness in the places we least expect it. So God comes to Jacob in dreams, showing him a ladder of angels ascending and descending. And Jacob wakes up and says, in this place, God was, but I was not aware of it. In the dark place when he was on the run. And then later, uh, when, when he has to go meet his brother um, after stealing his birthright and like being you know, away for like, you know, a couple decades, um, and he's afraid that he's going to get killed, like God comes to Jacob in the form of a stranger in the middle of the night, wrestling him and then blessing him, giving him the name Israel. God lurking around in the darkness. God comes to Moses in the cave in the form of a burning bush, which I guess like in a cave it's like presumably dark. Um, and he says, you're going to go speak, like you're going to set your people free. And then after he does that, God le- leads them by a cloud. And I assume like, you know, like this is not just like an ordinary like pillar of cloud that's just like, ooh, it's fluffy, but just like a pillar of cloud, a pillar is thick. And you probably can't see nothing through that. It was probably quite dark. The prophet Elijah meets God at Horeb. And there's like, you know, he says, go up on the mountain for I'm going to pass by. And like there's darkness and there's like fire and lightning and earthquakes and like wind. And God's not in that, but God is in the still small voice and everything just like calms down. And he's like, I'm alone. When I am at just by myself, I can hear the voice of God. When, uh, there's a, the, my favorite verses from like, uh, the Gospels, like Mark 5, the garrison demoniac that said, like, I am legion and whatnot, which is like, sick opening line, bro. <laughs> um, but so like, the garrison demoniac meets God in a graveyard, right? You know, the, the man who with the, the daughter who was dying, who was 12 years old, comes to God, Jesus and says, please, come heal my daughter. I know if you touch her, she's going to live. And on the way there, she's dead. God man when his daughter dies in the darkest moment the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years you know spending all her money all of her reputation and it's been like ceremonially unclean meaning she has to be separate from her community for 12 years finds god when she has no other options when she is down to like i literally have nothing to give i just like i need a touch jesus when he was running around the desert you know when he got baptized and then got driven into the desert by the, the Holy Spirit, which is like, what does it look like to be driven into the desert by the Spirit? Oof, that does not sound like fun to me. I'm not an outdoorsy girl. <laughs> but Jesus was like, apparently like literally like going back and forth with the literal devil. And in that darkness, God met Jesus and cared for him and angels attended to him. It's in those darkest moments where God wants to show up and say, I have a gift for you. 
So it's in the season of Lent as we're starting to prepare to remember the execution of Jesus at the hands of the state that we remember that we all have our own deep and terrifying darknesses, our own dark nights of the soul. Um, being evangelical growing up, we didn't really do a whole lot with like Good Friday or Holy Saturday because we were all about Sunday morning, y'all. Halle, halle, he is risen indeed. But we never, ever knew how to grieve Good Friday. We never knew how to feel the pain of Holy Saturday at that moment of just like, I don't see where this is going to go, but it is now in this moment of my life that on Good Friday and Holy Saturday, not just like the actual days themselves, but in those Good Friday and Holy Saturday moments when there is tragedy and the moment right after tragedy when we say, God, I don't know where you are. Those are the moments I feel closest to God. There's a moment in the Gospels where um, probably the darkest moment for all of the disciples, Jesus gathers his faltering friends and at the table says, in in the midst of an occupied Israel, in the midst of something so hard, Jesus says, I want to give you something. This is my body. God was never trying to make us feel small. That is what ancient religions did. That is what American civil religion has done to us. Like we, like, so I think for so long in my life, I just kept thinking, like, I'm in charge of keeping God happy. And if I don't keep God happy, then, like, I'll suffer. That's not what God's doing. Because God, God coming to Abram with that, like, cutting of the covenant, he's, going, he's saying to Abram, I am going to be with you. Like, God... Like, God was trying to make us aware of so divine. Like, as God comes to Abram and says, I want to give you something, I look at communion the same way. Like, God saying, I am not so grand that I cannot be found in something as simple as bread and wine. That's God coming. Like, every week when I get to take the Eucharist, I remember that God is saying, I'm here. I know it hurts. Because, like, right after that, what does Jesus do? He heads to Calvary. And that's and that was so, I think it's so interesting too is like as 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 he's cutting this covenant with Abraham he doesn't tell him like this is going to be great he says your kids are going to be enslaved for four hundred years you are going to go through it and he doesn't say that he's God doesn't say that God is going to rescue Abraham who would be Abraham later he's not Abraham yet obviously but he says rather I'm going to be with you. In your darkest moment, in the guts and blood of your life, I'm going to be with you. So I see this divine love walking with me through the hard and gross and messy, bloody guts kind of life. And what I am comforted by today is like Psalm 27 is also part of the readings. um, Because it's one of my favorites. The Lord is my light and salvation. Of whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? I feel like this is Abram in some ways, kind of like I feel his voice talking back through the darkness. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You who have been my help. If my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. For a queer person to say that, that is something, man. I've got a really complicated relationship with my family, so like that to me is just like... I believe I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That right there, 2713, I used to say that about hoping God would make me straight. But now look at it. I would have lost hope had I not known that I would see the glory of God in the land of the living. That's the KJV, and that one like really brings it home for me. Like, I look at my life now and I see glory. Halle. You're not supposed to say hallelujah during Lent, sorry. <laughs> I believe that faith sometimes begins in the darkness. It begins to the point when we are at our lowest because we've tried so hard to do, to please. We've made the sacrifices. We've done the thing. And yet, again, it is God covenanting with us. And so if we are the church, if we are the body of Christ, if we are Emmanuel, God with us, then that means that we're also the extensions of that covenant, right? If we are the presence of God, on the earth made manifest, then I believe that we should hold up that covenant too and enter into each other's deep, terrifying darkness to hold each other in those moments. Because like, let's not make an illusion about what the world 
what's going on right now. The attack on our Muslim community in Christchurch, New Zealand. You know, uh, trans women of color who get killed and they never get reported because nobody cares about trans women of color. Um, the black and brown bodies that get uh, mowed down in the street by police brutality. Um, to my friend, also, who, she's, uh, excuse me, they're a non-binary person in L.A. and uh, texted me that they got, ran out of a bathroom lot this past week because they were um, wearing a suit at a wedding reception. Um, we are surrounded by deep and terrifying darkness. And we're so tired. God, why haven't you shown up? We're waiting. We're waiting and we're believing and I really, again, I don't get belief sometimes because there are days when, like, I don't do good with saying the creeds. It's like, I believe. Oh, my God. <laughs> but that is why we are the church. That is why we are the body. That's why we are here to believe for one another. And, like, that's the thing. is like, I desperately want to believe. I desperately want to wake up and just be able to say that I believe in the virgin birth and the life, and the death, and the resurrection of Christ. And, you know, in, and that I believe in the church. And that I believe in the resurrection of the body, and the Holy Spirit, and that maybe the life to come is going to be better than this one. And I sometimes wonder if desire to believe, even if imperfectly, is still good enough. Because, again, it's not about whether or not I believe. It's about the fact that God believes in me. It is not about whether I am good at belief. It is about that God already believes in me. So my dearly beloved family, if you are today, if you are sitting in your deep, terrifying darkness, I want you to remember that God doesn't promise that God will get rid of your darkness. But God is with you. And when I say God is with you, I also mean that we are with you. We are the body of Christ. We are to enter into one another deep and terrifying darkness. What if we did that same thing? What if we thought about community and covenant the same way that when I say, when I promise myself to a body, I say, like, you know, may I be divided if I cannot keep my covenant with you? What if we were that desperate for community, that desperate for love, that desperate for, like, our Muslim friends to feel safe in their houses of worship? What if we did that? What if we covenanted with the world? that same kind of love. I believe that's the kind of love that can change the world, and I'm so tired of thinking that things cannot get better because so often that's what, things, that, that's what the world tells me, that this is just how it is. But what does Jesus say? He gives us a different narrative. And I believe that it is so possible to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I don't want to die and still have kids who are queer dying. I don't want to die and see a church that is like falling apart or given over to Jerry Falwell Jr. You know? I don't want to, I want to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I want to covenant with the rest of the world. And I think that is the challenge of Lent is to say, like, what am I willing to do to see that kind of resurrection? So wherever you are today, I want you to hear God speaking to you. Whatever your bloody mess of your life is, I want you to feel the warmth of God's fire floating towards you and saying, I have something to give you. Do not be afraid. Wait for the Lord and be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for that powerful message. We are so grateful for the Spirit's gifting in your life and for your willingness to be here with us today. Uh, uh, it's my privilege after a message like that to uh, invite us to take communion together. But um, before we do that, I, I do want us to say the Nicene Creed together. And uh, I love that Kevin's message set this up <laughs> so beautifully. Um, because the, the creeds can be difficult for us, can't they? And um, as I've said so many times recently, since we started using this one instead of the Apostles' Creed more often, um, the pronouns are helpful. It's we believe. When I can't or you can't on one part of it this week or the other part of it the next week, we do. And we believe together. 
And so, um, as an act of solidarity, not as a as a, uh, a final exam before you come to the table, but as an act of solidarity, an expression of this centering um, set of beliefs and trusts, can we say this creed together before we come to the table? We believe in one God. It's a joy to invite you to come to this table, which is not the table of the church, but the table of the Lord. The table where Jesus presents the bread and says, this is my body, and breaks it in two. And if that doesn't connect you to Genesis 15, wow. Um, Come and take a piece of the bread and dip it in one of the cups. You can see everything is labeled here. You can find the best uh, combination for you and your needs. But it is one table because we are one church. And uh, this is an act of um, remembrance of Christ's sacrifice. And it is food for your hungry souls. So come and be joyful at the Feast of the Lord. Uh, Our prayer team member will be at the back of the room if you'd like to receive prayer during this time as well. Let's continue to worship God. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.